0: NPR, this is Living on Earth. I'm Steve Kerwood. Today, the story of Wangari Mafai. Her quest to plant trees far and wide across Kenya launched a movement and won her the Nobel Peace Prize.
1: When God created the earth, he covered it, the way it is here, in its green color. That's the nature of the land, in its cloth of green that's where the concept of the Greenbelt Movement came from. It is to close the earth with her dress.
0: Over the decades, Mathai's Greenbelt Movement has strengthened democracy in Kenya and empowered its women through the planting of thousands upon thousands of seedlings. That's how it all started. Wangari Mathai and the Greening of Kenya this week on Living on Earth. Stick around.
2: Support for Living on Earth comes from the National Science Foundation and Stonyfield Farm.
0: From the Jennifer and Ted Stanley Studios in Somerville, Massachusetts, this is Living on Earth. I'm Steve Kerwood. In 2004, for the very first time in its history, the Nobel Committee awarded its prestigious Peace Prize to an environmental activist— The winner was a scientist and an African woman, her name, Wangari Mathai. Perhaps you've heard of the greenbelt movement she founded to reforest the landscape of her East African nation. In today's program, we ask two questions. Who is Wangari Mathai, and why has her greenbelt movement blossomed? Wangari Mathai says she had little idea in the beginning that teaching women to plant trees would not just demystify forestry, but would also change the lives of women and help clean up government as well. Living on Nursing Grid Lobet has our story of how this very Kenyan approach to environmental activism may hold lessons for the rest of the world.
3: A boundary of coffee, mango, and papaya trees encircles a steep hillside in Kenya's central highlands. The ground is packed with seedlings, their roots wrapped in black plastic. On any morning, in 3,500 nurseries like this one across central Kenya, volunteers tend their prospects. Hazel Wangui and a group of her neighbors shows me how they do it.
4: We take a, an, empty, an empty bag. We fill with the soil. We have mixed the soil with the manure. Yeah, so we fill and we do like that. After watering, we take seed. We put, we make a hole with our finger. Then we, we insert, we insert the seed
3: inside here Mm. and then we water again. Nurseries like this one are the core of the Greenbelt movement. They begin with a call or letter to the movement office in the capital, Nairobi. Greenbelt tells them, find a meeting room in your school or church and invite everyone. Then a staff member goes to the meeting and helps the community choose the most gung-ho or best organized among them to be leaders. People learn to collect tree seeds and how to choose a nursery plot. They prepare the ground. Then the movement gives them the precious black polyethylene tubes for tamping in the soil the African version of the cardboard seedling pot now this this is made hey. Hazel and her friends lead me over to a hand dug hole about six feet deep this is where, how where we, we get water for for watering
4: mm. we use the can this is the the can we use.
3: To get water, you must step steeply down into the hole, brace your feet against its dirt sides, bend over and fill the bucket below your feet, then swing the 20 pounds of water over your head up onto the ground, and you must do this for two hours at a time, twice a day, until the seedlings are six inches high. (laughs) Ah, this is what we do (laughs) today.
4: This is what we do
3: when the plants are one foot tall, they carry them to be planted. And then we use sacks. We put about 20, and then we use our back. They carry the 40 or so pound sacks of seedlings up the hillside, strapped to their foreheads. You see, the place is steep. So we, ca- we come more than
4: 10 times, yeah, going up and down, carrying this heavy knee. We carry 20, 20 seedlings. 20. <laughs> and it is happy. they are happy because they are, the soil is, water, is wet. Yeah, that is what we do. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. We feel it is our work, so we can't get, get tired. We can see the fruit of the
3: work we are doing. Yeah. The young trees go to members' homes for future firewood or shade. They go to neighbors, nearby schools, and nowadays to rehabilitate Kenya's ragged forests. Wherever they go, the seedlings are free, but the person receiving them must dig all the holes, a show of commitment. Greenbelt members continue to tend the baby trees for three months. Then the office in Nairobi pays them an amount that's small but crucial, five shillings, about seven cents a seedling. These acts of reforestation reverberate within Kenyans and their society. And the movement has confronted the government armed with seedlings and been viewed as subversive once was in 1996, when Greenbelt founder Wangari Mathai and her supporters staged a series of protests at Karura National Forest, a 2,600-acre wood on the northern outskirts of Nairobi. It turned out then-President Daniel Arap Moy was selling off pieces of forest to his backers. The crowd's approaching the gates of Karura, only to be met by a huge police blockade. Yeah, that
5: day I saw this.
3: Lillian Muchungi is a Greenbelt organizer and mother of two. And as usual, she was with Wangari Mathai on this day to retake Karura symbolically by planting.
5: I was standing right next to her. And that is the day I I thought, maybe one day we will die over Karura. But she said, and she, she said there, then, on my dead body that Karura will ever be subdivided to
3: individuals. A crowd of young security guards hired to keep the protesters at bay waited a few yards away on the other side of a fence. Now, when I looked at them, I knew
5: these guys are going to beat us. They were carrying knives, they were carrying some daggers, you know, those very sharp pieces of wood, some whips and machetes, you know. Yeah, and, and I wanted to protect her. And I wanted to talk to her to, to ask her not to do it and maybe we go back and maybe get back there another time. But she insisted, this is the day that I'm going to plant this tree. Uh, we must do it today.
3: A South African news team was on hand to record the standoff. Wangari Mathai held a seedling in one hand and a wooden crucifix in the other.
1: As you can see, I'm holding the, the power of, of Christ. I am quite sure that the Antichrist will not keep us away from the forest. This is the power that the, the man who died on this cross did not believe in, and I don't either.
5: It was like to dig a hole. That is Wendy all jumped over the fence. And some of them were on her with whips and some very sharp daggers. 10, ten young men, yes, were on us. I was hit with a big stone here, I remember. And, and for her, she was now, one of them landed on her head with one of, one of the sharp objects. And when I saw Brad, I started screaming. But others were on her now with the whips, from all the sides. I still remember that day.
3: Mathai's head injury required stitching. She was released from the hospital a few days later. University students later joined the protests. The names of some involved in the real estate transactions were published and the forest development halted. Where does a movement that can change a country begin? Mathai often recalls the heavily wooded hills of Nyeri where she was born. I grew up in a beautiful part of the countryside,
1: full of trees, full of food, a lot of uh, happiness, a lot of water, a lot of firewood, a lot of building material, everything that I am now trying to replenish.
3: There was plenty of it when I was a child. Wangari Mathai's mother also planted. She sent her daughter to school in the 1940s. In middle and high school, her teachers were nuns, and Mathai says she learned from their model of life in service to others. Then she traveled to Kansas to major in biology at a Catholic college, then more study in Pittsburgh and Germany, and back home.
1: In Nairobi, I pursued a Ph.D. in anatomy in the early 1970s. It seemed as though besides being a wife and a mother, I was destined to be a university professor to help produce graduates of veterinary medicine who would feed the nation and East Africa with the products from the livestock industry.
3: was an exciting time to be Kenyan. Independence from Britain was a decade past. A young scientist wanted to advance her people. Wangari Mathai focused on livestock. She studied the brown ear tick, collecting thousands of them in the countryside, in the hope of alleviating rinderpest, a fatal East African cattle fever. <laughs>
6: ¶¶
1: When I was collecting ticks, I saw environmental degradation in my country. I noticed the animals from which I collected the ticks were thin and clearly suffering from hunger. There was little grass and other fodder. Levers were low. This information was hitting me from all
3: angles. Mathai saw the signs in the countryside and heard discussions about hunger at the National Council of Women of Kenya. I realized the real
1: threat to cattle in my country was not the brown-eared tick, but the deteriorating environment around me. I also recognized that not only the livestock industry, but me, my children, my students, and my entire country were threatened by deteriorating environment. Deforestation soil loss, pollution and non-sustainable management of the land. At one seminar I was struck that children from the central part of Kenya where I grew up amongst plenty were suffering from malnutrition.
3: Kenyan women were seeking faster cooking meals because firewood was getting harder to find. With the British colonists had begun cutting timber to build the East African Railway, rural women were continuing in their search for fuel.
1: I listened to the women from the rural areas, and I noticed that the issues that they were raising had something to do with the land. They were asking for firewood. They need clean drinking water. They needed food, they needed income, because they were poor. I immediately understood that what we really needed to address those problems is to rehabilitate the environment. I started encouraging women that we plant trees. That's how it all started.
3: Though it wasn't clear at the time, Wangari Mathai and the National Council of Women of Kenya were inventing a playbook, an operating manual, not just for planting trees, but for transforming the lives of Kenyan women. But to do so, they had to enter the province of men, the nation's professional foresters. They weren't always eager to share their knowledge. Mathai sought then, as she would many times, to disarm the opposition, telling them, we're just a bunch of women planting trees. Coming
0: up, we'll hear how the Greenbelt Movement and its founder, Wangari Mathai, reforested whole regions of Kenya and in the process drew the wrath of the Kenyan government. Keep listening to Living on Earth. It's Living on Earth. I'm Steve Kerwood. We're hearing this hour about the Green Belt Movement founded by the Kenyan biologist, environmentalist, and Nobel Peace Prize winner, Wangari Mathai. Our story resumes in the central highlands of Kenya, in the district of Moranga, where women tree planters wrote this song in Mathai's honor. Living on Earth's Ingrid Lobet continues our story.
3: Today in Muranga, the landscape is lush and green, but the older women say back in the 1970s it looked quite different. Uh,
7: I can give you an example from right here, right where we're sitting.
3: Greenbelt veteran Margaret Wambui.
7: This was bare soil all the way over to there, bare soil. The birds would even take dust baths here. There weren't any trees or even grass like you see now. The soil you see over on that hill could even have come from here because the wind was always blowing away our soil. We even called it the devil wind. From the moment we planted these trees, we've noticed our soil doesn't blow away anymore. Plants like these that you see just multiply now because the soil is rooted here, it stays put. And with these trees, we now have fodder for our cows and firewood. That is the goodness of Green Belt. We're always singing the praises of Green Belt. When I was a girl, there was a lot of firewood. But later we had to go farther, to the forest, to get wood, far away. We even had to go by bus, it was so far, and come back by bus too. And since we couldn't bring back very much in the bus, we would have to go again the very next day.
3: On the other side of the hill in Muranga, another veteran leader, Edith Choki, sits in the shade of a stand of trees on her property. She calls it her Garden of Eden. <laughs>
7: We get wood planks for building. We get them from this very farm right here. And if you talk about eating, we plant fruit, fruit trees. We can even plant bananas right here, this close to the house. Yes, it is much better than it used to be. You could see very far. It was very dry, very dry around here. There were no trees between these houses.
3: You could see straight from one to the next. Now you can hardly see the next house. Are the trees what she feels the most proud of, the biggest accomplishment of the movement in this area?
7: We came together as one. We became a group. As a group, we raise our goats, we raise our cows, like these goats right here. And we're very happy because we're even getting milk from them. It's almost as good as the trees, this coming together.
3: The women of Muranga have another song, Switch on the Light, Wangari. They sing... Now we can see you've been our guide. We are grateful we don't rely on anyone anymore. <laughs> As the movement spread in the 1980s, like any good organizers, Greenbelt workers adapted and refined their goals and methods. They had to when they came face to face with some painful realities, realities that reached inside Kenya's society and soul, Wangari Mathai. I realized that
1: Part of the problems that we have in the rural areas or in the country generally is that a lot of our people are not free to think. They are not free to create. Um, And therefore they become very unproductive. They may have knowledge, they may have gone to school, but they are trained to be directed. They are trained to be told what to do. And that's some of the unmasking that the Greenbelt Movement tries to do is to empower people, to encourage them, to tell them it's okay to dream, it's okay to think, it's okay to change your minds, it's okay to think on your own, it's okay to decide this is what you want to do. You don't have to wait for somebody else to tell you.
3: But if a certain passivity is entrenched, how to move beyond it? Many Kenyans can't read, and for others, hunger is a day away. So civic education is now at the heart of Greenbelt movement work. It sounds like this. <laughs> When Greenbelt organizers like Murathi Kafuri visit a community, the energy between trainer and audience in a common native language, in this case Kikuyu, can be palpable, even if, as on this day, a wicked heat radiates down on the assembled through a metal church roof. <laughs>
8: It's like you give people analytical skills to analyze their problems, not to just sing problems, problems like a song. You are telling them, analyze your problems, and you can do something about them.
3: Don't just sit. That's Jogu Kahari, another Greenbelt staff member. Once a local Greenbelt chapter has begun planting trees, organizers urge members to examine their community problems one by one.
8: All other problems they have in the world, so they rest them. Sometimes they go to about 400, 500, and then you tell them, OK, are these the problems we have? Yes, let's see where they come from. And that is usually a very sensitive time when people are really trying, you know, to make sure they are not incriminating themselves, that they are the cause of the problems.
3: Often one problem the community identifies is corrupt local government.
8: So in the head they see like, oh, so a government can be bad without us knowing. And also they start seeing
3: themselves
8: as a cause of many of the problems.
3: For example, water may become scarce because someone illegally diverts the flow. So community members challenge each other.
8: Why do you do that? Why are you selfish? Now that is the root cause. You are selfish, you don't consider your neighbors, or the water is not being distributed properly, or the chief favors you, or the people in charge of that water favors you. And therefore, the solution could be now we need to make regulations that do not favor some people. Then they decide, now we want to go into the solutions.
3: The community looks to solutions to food, water, and wood shortages that are within its power to address. It may decide to conserve water together or to remove water-hogging trees from a nearby stream. It may insist on greater accountability from local officials. For the first 12 years of its existence, the Greenbelt movement worked this way, focusing on local concerns in largely rural areas. But in the late 1980s, that began to change when Wangari Mathai started connecting more dots, this time between Kenya's degrading land and its political leaders. As the movement broadened, it became more threatening.
1: In the beginning, I was intrigued because it's such a benign activity. It's development. It's exactly what every leader speaks about. And so I thought that we would be celebrated and we would be supported by the system. But what I did not realize then and do now is that in many situations, leaders, especially leaders in undemocratic countries, have not been keen to inform their people, to empower their people, to help them solve their problems. They almost want them to remain needy, to remain poor, to remain disempowered, so that they can look up to them almost like gods and adore them, and worship them, and hope that they will solve their problems. Now, I couldn't stand
7: that.
3: A crucial moment in the evolution of the Greenbelt Movement came in 1989, when the Kenyan government brokered a deal with media mogul Robert Maxwell to build a 60-story building and a four-story statue of President Daniel Arap Moy in Nairobi's Uhuru Park. Here is a public park,
1: the only huge public park It is a beehive over the weekends, especially, because that's where most people from low-income areas escape with their families. And the ruling party, at a time when it felt very, very powerful, like nobody could touch it, it, decided to build this tower and to take over the park.
3: Mathai said she couldn't condone the project and call herself an environmentalist.
1: Every city needs green spaces, every city needs trees, every city needs a space where people can rest without being asked questions and without being perceived as if they are intruding, because they too need space. Space is a human right. You need space. And so I
3: campaigned to have that space protected. Wangari Mathai's outspokenness drew immediate fire.
0: The Daily Nation, Nairobi, Thursday, November 9th, 1989. Members of Parliament yesterday condemned Professor Wangari Mathai for appealing to the British High Commissioner over the construction of a 60-story building at Nairobi's Uhuru Park.
3: The Daily Nation, December 13, 1989. President Daniel Moi today attacked Professor Wangari Mathai for her objection to the media building at Uhuru Park, saying even Jesus Christ would not have stood for this kind of interference. He said that Wamama African custom calls for mothers to respect men. He wondered why other Kenyan women were sitting on the fence to endlessly witness her crusade.
0: The Daily Nation. A number of ministers of parliament called yesterday for the deregistration of Professor Wangari Mathai's Greenbelt movement, saying it was not rendering service to the nation. An assistant minister, Mr John Keane, said his great respect for women had been greatly eroded by her utterances. Mr Keane asked her and her clique of women to tread cautiously, adding, I don't see the sense at all in a bunch of divorcees coming out to criticise such a complex.
1: That's when they reminded me who I am in terms of gender, and what I am in terms of uh, social status. And, And I was described in several adjectives, which were very unflattering. Fortunately for me, and unfortunately for them, that did not deter me, and I did not get intimidated.
3: A few years earlier, her husband had divorced her, saying publicly she was too stubborn and too hard to control. She had transgressed when she became more educated than he was. She transgressed when she did not retreat after divorce. And now she was criticizing the president. Another blow came at the end of that year.
0: December 22, 1989. Last week, the Greenbelt Movement was ordered by the commanding officers of the Central Police Station to leave within 24 hours the headquarters it had occupied for 10 years. Despite Mathai's pleas that she be given more time to organize her departure from the premises, the officers stuck to their guns.
3: Mathai was forced out of her office and had to move Greenbelt operations to her home, but staying at her house was now dangerous. Professor Verdestein Baia is a longtime friend and fellow scientist. The thing to remember is the amount
1: of money that must have changed hands and would change hands.
3: So when they became angry, We knew they were very angry. In what would mark a historic shift for Kenya, the financing for the Uhuru Park media tower fell apart. The project died. Friends moved Mathai from house to house. She was jailed in 1991 for protesting deforestation, but was released. And when a group of mothers of young men who were being held as political prisoners approached her and asked her to help them free their sons, she said yes. And then she came up with the strategy that we would build a camp on Uhuru Park
1: and have a candlelight all-night vigil. And we went to this park, which is the Freedom Park, Uhuru Park in Nairobi, and one little corner opposite that building, and we camped there to wait for the suns. And it was while we were there that a lot of people came to that site... They came to the Freedom Corner and it almost became like a forum where people narrated their torture, uh, what they had gone through in the torture chambers of a building that was opposite the park called Nyayo House. It was like a truth commission at the park. And men were crying tears because of the experience they had gone through. And the That was the very first time that people had found space to talk about their persecution, to talk about the oppression of that government. For three days, we were surrounded by security personnel, and every day they brought more security and surrounded the women. And on the third day, they came with guns, with a lot of soldiers, and they completely uprooted the entire camp.
3: In an act that was widely reported and perhaps misinterpreted, some women disrobed after police forced a dispersal. Mathai, who was clubbed unconscious, described that event to the radio program Democracy Now! When
1: the government unleashed its terror on us and the people who were with us there, several hundreds of them on that day, the women in the traditional African demonstration of anger and frustration by women. When women are confronted, punished, threatened by men who are old enough to be their sons, that's extremely humiliating. Because whatever you do as a, as a man, you must not touch your mother. You cannot uh, beat your mother. You cannot hurt your mother. And so what these women were doing to these soldiers is to tell them, I curse you as my son for the way you are treating me
3: and I'm your mother. The protesters sought protection at All Saints Cathedral in Nairobi. The bishop there allowed the women to stay in the church basement for months until nearly all their sons were freed. What began as a three-day hunger strike became a one-year struggle to open up Kenya's political system.
9: That's und und na
0: In just a moment, we'll learn how Wangari Mathai's Green Belt Movement grew from an effort to reforest Kenya into new strategies to address nutrition, river restoration, and poverty. Stay tuned to Living on Earth.
9: <laughs>
2: Support for NPR comes from NPR stations and the Charles Stewart Mott Foundation, online at mott.org, supporting efforts to promote a just, equitable, and sustainable society. The Kresge Foundation, building the capacity of nonprofit organizations through challenge grants since 1924, on the web at kresge.org the Annenberg Fund for Excellence in Communications and Education, and the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, From Vision to Innovative Impact, 75 Years of Philanthropy. This is NPR National Public Radio.
0: It's Living on Earth. I'm Steve Kerwin. Wangari Mathai's Greenbelt movement began as a way to provide fuel close to home for Kenyan women to encourage planting nutritious food and to green the hillsides. Now the movement encompasses thousands of community nurseries and nearly a hundred thousand members. But as communities organize, they do more than plant trees. Wangari Mathai's daughter Wanjira explains.
1: They plant trees. Okay, a thousand trees. Two thousand trees. Wow, okay. We have fruit. Maybe we should sell this fruit. We have too much fruit.
4: Let's
6: do so just one thing leads to the other.
0: Living on Earth's Ingrid Lobet continues
3: our story. <laughs> Greenbelt organizers don't spend much time in the office. They're usually on the road visiting communities, bouncing along past the billboards for Nido powdered milk and Kenya tea. Along rutted roads, people say by now should be paved with gems for all the money past governments have supposedly spent on them. We reach today's destination, the village of Gatito, at sunset. People in this Greenbelt group had been planting trees for shade, firewood, and income for a while when they decided to address another problem. During the rainy season, when food is abundant, it spoils easily because there's little power and no refrigeration. During the dry season, food is scarce, so Greenbelt organizers taught people here how to dry their food in the sun for when it's needed. Now children are eating a lot more vegetables. But Greenbelt member Joyce Kagedi says there's something else. She sees herself differently since the Greenbelt movement came to town.
1: Yeah.
6: Before, I worked in the farm compound and looked after my children. I couldn't stand up amongst people or give them my views about things. I was not able to do even the smallest thing in this respect.
5: Mm -hmm.
6: Professor came here and she showed us that a woman has the right to speak. And when she speaks, she can make things advance. A woman has a right to speak. And now
3: I feel if I speak, things can move
1: forward.
3: Over the years, the Greenbelt movement has cut a path quite different from most Western environmental organizations. The inverse of tightly focused, it can seem like an octopus to the outsider, with tentacles in every conceivable community problem, searching for a solution.
10: I want to show you my goats. Uh, we ca- I call it waki. Wakip was the first goat here. That is uh, his, his daughter, and also this one is hers.
3: Jeffney and Joyce Muangi received one goat and then gave back its first female offspring to another Greenbelt member.
10: When I give them one, the other goat they will remain mine, my property. Mm. If I want to slaughter it, if I want to sell it, it's
3: mine. And the Mwangis are also taking advantage of one of Greenbelt's latest community income activities, beekeeping.
10: I spoke to the Greenbelt movement. They told me there is a revolving fund. I can be given some beehives, keep bees, and I will not pay with the money. I will pay with the planting trees. So I was given 10 beehives. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Then I'll plant 8,000 trees. Not me alone with my group members. When we plant them, then the beehives will be ours.
3: But for several years now, the Greenbelt movement has reached beyond even its many rural projects and its occasional urban conflicts pushed partly by donor organizations it's taken on restoring kenya's degraded forests the british planted exotic eucalyptus and pines in the forests for timber and industrial tea drying they also invited farmers in to plant crops so now the greenbelt movement is reaching out to professional foresters as allies my name is miriam
6: kamau i'm the forester in charge of jokini forestation in Kerogoya
3: district of Kenya. The red brown earth here has a sweet, deep smell. The sunlight's branch tips and electric green. Miriam Kamau says when the Greenbelt movement came to her and asked if they could plant trees in the forest, she wasn't sure what to think. I was afraid because I didn't know their intentions. I didn't know
6: if they are prophets of doom. I didn't know if they are coming to which hunt me.
3: So at first, there was that personal fear. But Kamau remembered her father, who was not a trained forester, but planted trees. The Greenbelt members reminded her of him. Even most people are telling me to abandon them. And I'm telling
6: you today, I'm very happy because even the fear I had, it's gone. I'm seeing them, I find them, like now, even their channel for me to learn more, even to a defense. I've been able to learn from them and we have been able to do great things. So even I would urge where Greenbelt has not started. Let people not fear them.
3: Let people not fear them, Kamau says, but she concedes there were problems with greenbelt planters in the forest. To start with, you know, they are not qualified. So
6: they, there were some hitches, like the spacing in the forests, They were planting half They were planting theirs very closely, close together. And I was able to tell them to try and space these trees.
3: This free labor has proved valuable to Kamau. Greenbelt workers cleared acres of thorny brush to plant indigenous trees when the Forest Service was laying off workers. That's the African cricket. You can hear that? This may be a good model for Kenya's forests, but it represents a fundamental shift for Greenbelt. Under some pressure from donors, it now only pays for seedlings planted on public land, not those planted at home. To plant in the forest, members have to travel, often on foot, carrying heavy seedlings. Greenbelt staffer Jogu Kahari says the organization doesn't have the money to pay for both.
8: Greenbelt would have light to be able to compensate or give a token appreciation of planted trees because it keeps the movement alive. Uh, but funding is not... And also what we're asking the women to do in terms of planting trees on the public land is so much more demanding. And the Greenbelt really needs to get money to support the women. Although you're not even paying them, provide transport for the seedlings. Don't tell the women to carry those seedlings on their backs. Fundraising for that kind of
3: work. The fear is that people will simply choose to plant fewer trees, a serious reverse for a movement with tree planting at its heart. There have been reverses before. In fact, now at age 30, Greenbelt is revisiting some of those failures with new ideas. In Machakos, people farm the front lines of desiccation. Greenbelt failed here to get people to water seedlings. The baby trees were just extra mouths to feed. Cipara yolodiaca.
9: Mm.
2: Before, I used to spend one and a half hours looking for water. And still I only came back with five gallons. And because five gallons isn't enough, we'd often have to walk another hour and a half to fetch another five gallons in the same day. If you had a small baby and no one to care for it, you have to carry the baby and the jerry can to fetch water. When I'm done fetching water, I must organize for lunch. After
3: lunch, it's now time to go to where the animals are to make sure they have water. Today, Yolodiaka stands beside a year-round source of water, a pond created by damming the river here. Dams are somewhat unpopular among Western environmentalists, but different forms of pooling or water harvesting are no longer rare in some dry countries.
2: But now I can just come down to the water and my goats drink and then go home in a short time. With the extra hours, I have time to plant and tend trees with my group, to work on my own farm plot, to plant vegetables, lots of things.
3: Now that there is water, people here are farming things that would have been unimaginable before and are making money from it. They grow tomatoes, potatoes, and papaya in holes designed to slow rainy runoff and percolate water back into the river. Nearby communities clamor for similar dams. People in Machakos concede there has been more malaria since they created this standing water, but several people said it's worth it.
8: We need water. We don't care about malaria. We have to use
6: nets.
8: Yeah.
3: More water. More is what people want from Greenbelt these days. More planting containers, more spades, more dams. The nation's schools now also want more, thanks to a pilot program Greenbelt has begun for 4th, 5th, and 6th graders. It's a project that could launch a new constituency for a movement whose members are mostly middle-aged. With a grant from a U.S. donor, organizers began teaching river ecology at a middle school. The kids collected leaves from two native Kenyan tree species, fig and meru oak, and from eucalyptus, an Australian species introduced by the British, David Yagi.
10: And then we put them in a pack. Then we put them in the river.
3: The kids measure river temperature and make other observations, then let the separate baskets of leaves lie underwater in the current for three weeks. Then they retrieve them. When they retrieved the native leaf packs, the leaves were decomposed down to their leaf skeletons by insects. The kids counted 16 kinds of mayflies, donflies, and other macroinvertebrates.
10: But in the leaf pack of the charipters, we only found one type of macroinvertebrate.
3: The lesson, Yagi says, is that eucalyptus was not contributing to the river's ecosystem. Seventy Kenyan schools now participate in leaf pack, and there are requests from 200 more. Meanwhile, Greenbelt has been asked to organize tree planting for people in prison. And they've been actively working to turn Kenyan soldiers into tree planters. According to the organization, soldiers have already planted tens of thousands of seedlings. Wangari Mathai.
1: Recently I was talking to some soldiers in Kenya and because they wanted to plant trees. And I took advantage of that situation to explain to them, to show them that although they have they are soldiers. They are trained to to protect the borders of the country. They are trained to protect the country that, in fact, the country was disappearing below their feet without knowing. were holding their guns, I said, "You can. You hold your gun. What are you protecting? The whole country is disappearing with the wind and with the water. When you look at the rivers and they are brown, that's your country disappearing, going into the Indian Ocean." So if you really want to protect, you should hold the gun on your right and a tree seedling on your left. That's when you become a good soldier.
3: The army, the prisons, the schools. The Greenbelt movement is more popular than ever and stretched thin. On one hand, Wangari Mathai's Nobel Peace Prize brought recognition to the movement in Kenya and throughout the world, a validation of the work. As Wangira Mathai says, we no longer have to convince people. Members like Eunice Yokabe feel lifted up. She stands surrounded by her nursery outside Nairobi. For Mango alone, her group can easily grow 50,000 seedlings a year. I was very happy for Professor because I
6: know she worked here. She didn't go away. She fought here in Kenya. And we are very happy. We as women, for for Professor, we, we feel we are... We are people who are recognized, women, you know, African women. We are put down by the men. But Mm -hmm. now we have the courage to move on with the work, to work hard. Yeah. Yeah, we we have the courage now to talk about it. Yeah.
3: (laughs) It's more difficult now for Wangari Mathai to visit people's houses. She's a member of parliament, an assistant minister for the environment. She belongs to the world now. In New York, Brazzaville, Rome, and Tokyo, she presses the case for topsoil, for Africa's tropical forests, and for better government. When she's back home, crowds of people await her for matters as large as the Congo Basin or as small as a village water contract. Her daughter and chief of staff, Wanjira, describes the crush outside a United Nations meeting room. We have about 6,000 invitations. Yes, there's a lot of demand
1: on on the work, on the staff, and the expansion capacity of Greenbelt. So there's a, the bigger demand for, for resources. And so the idea now is really to create a, a base, uh, an endowment for the Greenbelt movement so that the fundraising it doesn't become the driving force of what we do.
3: Grants from donors in Norway, the Netherlands, Austria, and the United States have supported the bulk of Greenbelt work until now. One kind of new offer makes them wary. As the world gears up to trade in the greenhouse gas carbon dioxide to address the Earth's warming, the Greenbelt movement has been approached because their stands of trees could be certified as a place where carbon is stored. But senior staffer Jogu Kahari says they'll have to consider the offers carefully.
8: The source of the money is people who are polluting somewhere. So they are very keen for the planting to succeed, and to be certified so that they can trade in that carbon credit. So we have to be very careful about this big money because we want the community to plant trees because they understand, they are caring for the environment and to be able, if they decide somewhere down the road to use some of the trees, they should be able to do that.
3: With the increased demands the Nobel Prize has brought, there's sometimes a weariness that shades Wangari Mathai's willing smile. Everyone around her, though, tires before she does. And her message is unchanging. Don't talk about planting trees plant them. Her hand on the shovel is noticeably firmer than those of the diplomats who sometimes surround her as she plants yet another seedling, this one in New York.
1: When God created the earth, he covered it the way it is here. The soil is supposed to be covered in its green color. When you see the soil, it is crying to be clothed with green vegetation. That's the nature of the land. So when the soil is exposed, in many ways it is crying out for help. It is naked and it needs to be clothed in its colour, in its cloth of green. That's where the concept of the Green Belt Movement came from. It is to Clothes the earth with her dress.
3: Remember what millions of hands can do, Wangari Mathai often reminds people. Next, the Greenbelt Movement carries that message thousands of miles away to some of the most naked land on the planet, the stripped clean slopes of Haiti. For Living on Earth, I'm Ingrid Lobet.
0: Our story on Wangari Mathai and her Kenyan greenbelt movement was reported and produced by Ingrid Lobet and edited by Chris Ballman. Thanks to Moreithi Kafuri, David Mutinda, Doug Patterson of KUOW in Seattle, Common Ground Productions, Alan Dater and Lisa Merton, the Pacifica Radio Archive, the American Friends Service Committee Film and Video Library, the Africa Development Foundation, Fenton Communications, and Mainichi Newspapers. Special support was provided by the Richard and Rhoda Goldman Fund. Living on Earth is produced by the World Media Foundation. Our technical director is Dennis Foley. Allison Dean composed our themes. You can find us at livingonearth.org. I'm Steve Kerwood. Thanks for listening.
2: Funding for Living on Earth comes from the National Science Foundation, supporting coverage of emerging science and Stonyfield Farm, organic yogurt, smoothies, and milk, 10% of profits are donated to efforts that help protect and restore the Earth. Details at stonyfield.com. Support also comes from NPR member stations and the Ford Foundation for reporting on U.S. environment and development issues and the Geraldine R. Dodge Foundation.
3: This is NPR, National Public Radio.